All right, everybody, shalom and welcome to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to an excellent show today. We have a lot of good stuff today for you uh, to keep you connected and strong during this time of war. Somebody that keeps me connected and strong in this world is Malka Fleischer, and she joins me today. Shalom to you. Shalom, shalom. All right, Malka, this is our podcast. Uh, we've been also doing uh, live streams on Facebook. Um, although Facebook has uh, been a little bit shadow banning me, and they, mm. they basically told me it's because I have so-called political content. Yesterday, I wrote them an email. Really? I, I wrote meta an email. I wrote yeah. a meta email, and my yeah. meta email said that I'm like, listen, um, I, I didn't deny that it's political content, but I said it's high-level, high-level interviewees, open-minded. We have a discussion, and you know, let me let me broadcast. This is an this is an alternative to news media. People want it, so let people you know choose right. for themselves. Yeah, I don't know why they would stop people from talking about the things they want to talk about. Also, yeah. It's interesting. There's a big article in Wired magazine, which is a which yeah. is a, t- a technical, you know, computer magazine. Yeah, uh, it, and talks about how Telegram has become weaponized, and how Hamas was very prepared with an Instagram, wow. um, with an Instagram Wait, strategy. Instagram in, in or a, Telegram? A te- a telegram strategy. Yeah, and they released all the videos that they wanted to release wow. very quickly. So part of their war was was, it, was to terrorize people with horrible videos. Not just horrible videos, also showing their strength. Mm-hmm. How their the, the video that went the most viral is their uh, uh, their 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 landings. You know those. those oh, were oh, those like uh, para? What are they called? Paragliders. Paragliders. Oh, interesting. That that was the video because you know to show their you know right, how swooping they, in swooping in. And and so the point is, is something that I'm always saying, which is so it's it's kind of obviously true, but needs to be needs to be understood is that uh, the narrative war is a big part of what's going on in this world. Right. And uh, and uh, they were able to really uh, not just terrorize Israel Mm -hmm. uh, and and wreak havoc and destruction, but also um, but also had it all planned out, market it out, market it out. Interesting, uh, a lot of these dead terrorists had these body cams on them. Right. Um, and I'm not sure if, if it was a mistake on their part or not a mistake on their part because a lot of footage has been recovered. Knesset members and, right. and, and first press, now Knesset members, have watched a 45-minute redacted horror film. What does redacted mean? Meaning to say they called and redacted, uh, the, the Israeli army uh, captured all this footage and made it into a 45-minute video. Like a film. Mm-hmm. And basically, the Knesset members... It's like the, the raw footage, basically. Knesset members could not stand it. People just ran out of the room. Right. I Most heard what Leah was telling me. I actually didn't read that story yet. Um, but our daughter was telling me that she was reading about it and that one of the Knesset members like came out of the room after 45 minutes and promptly passed out. Like yeah. just collapsed, like like from the horror of what they saw. Right now, now the the problem with terrorists is right with Hamas style terrorists. This is the problem, ISIS Hamas style terrorists. The problem is they are not embarrassed about those f- videos. Although, although I did watch a Hamas video yesterday, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we were not aiming for civilian casualties," yeah. and and there was just happened to be. All this, these tasty civilians around, we just couldn't help ourselves. Right? No, they, he actually goes, and there was this this uh, uh, nature festival, this music right. festival. It just happened to be in our way. 
Mm. While intelligence shows that that's actually why they went in. That was right. the lure. Plus, I the, think they found some like manuals inside where it oh, yeah. talked about well, maps of people's houses and how to kill how civilians, to, like, who to kill and uh, which order and everything. So I'm not sure, but I do think that... You're not sure? No, no, no. No, no. I mean to say uh, what I was... I'm, I'm not sure about what I was saying, which is that that did does Hamas want the world to see these pictures oh, of see. horror and mm-hmm. then therefore seem cruel, which is therefore powerful in their right. eyes or was this a little bit of a, a tactical mistake and and they and they're trying to cover up their atrocities just like the nazis trying to cover up atrocities i think that the latter is true well it depends because, on what you're trying to achieve also, because there's also even a small but there is a backlash within this even the muslim world right uh which is like you know the quran this is says, too much this is, right this, is, this was this too is much not, this is not, you know this was not noble warfare right far from it and then I heard another lady, uh, a smart lady, talking on the radio, and she said, it's very important to uh, uh, insult Hamas. Mm-hmm. It's very important. And how to insult them? To insult their masculinity, to say, oh, look at you. You can't even provide for uh, the people that you're supposed to be protecting. Look what you've allowed Gaza to become. Look how you're fighting. You're hanging out in tunnels and holes. You can't yeah, face Yeah, but haven't we been doing that for a long time? No. And and finally, uh, look, you're killing women and children. This lady said that that that, it, that in that culture, it's very, you know, this, this stuff stings them. And they're using exactly the opposite to goad on uh, other Arab leaders by saying to them, look, we're standing up to Israel. And what are you doing about it? So mm-hmm. the, the, the answer is, look at you. You're living in tunnels. You're not standing up to the enemy, and look what you're doing. The only way you're hurting the enemy, so-called, is by killing, you know, babies and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the the whole the whole thing is still in progress. We're still right, very, very much, much so. and 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 just two nights ago, uh, we lost a whole bunch of uh, you know of, of Israeli soldiers of nineteen and twenty year olds. Uh, who were killed in battle right, in there's Gaza. Now, there's now a couple more, Yishai. The number is up to 17. Yeah, it's uh, that's why I didn't say a number, because it's because it's uh, sadly it's growing. And uh, right after my segment here with you, Malka, uh, I have a long but excellent, I mean excellent segment uh, with Colonel Richard Kemp, a former, uh, former uh, British Army officer who served in all the hotspots, talking at length. We discuss really all aspects of this war. It's an absolutely must-list, and that's coming wow. right up. What are particular sections that you think people will look forward to? Um, uh, he deals with the with the question of why are the Americans here and is that good or bad. He he deals with uh, the how many warships, American warships, do we have now in our seas? In terms of just plane ships, there's a lot. There's a lot, and 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 they're and they're uh, they're <laughs> they're they're playing a very interesting role here. But he uh, he rightly was concerned that America may be trying to not let Israel actually have a full victory. Uh, as they have in the past, hmm. and so so there's really it's a double-edged sword here. We're, well, speaking of America, Isha, you had an interesting tweet this week, a, a successful tweet, where you tweeted at Tucker Carlson, the famous American political commentator. Yeah, and you were talking about America. Yeah, I was sitting with a good friend, and uh, my my friend said to me uh, this idea, and so uh, and then I tweeted it out. He said uh, he said he said that he tells the Tucker Carlsons of this world, he tells them. Um, Tucker's saying these days, let's not fight for Israel because Israel's drawing us into a world war and a, and a regional conflict, which is not ours. Right. So my friend says to me, no, Tucker's totally wrong. This is 10 years of American appeasement of Iran, putting 
re- releasing them from the um fr- from the um um I always forget this word. I always forget this word when if I have a problem with this word. The sanctions regime. Uh-huh. Releasing them from the sanctions re- regime, basically giving them a green light to go towards a nuclear bomb, right. sending tons of money their way, uh, uh, including recently, and so tons and tons of funding. Right. So he says, no, like, like we're it's not that we Israel's drawing you into a regional war. You drew us into a regional war, right? An American funded- shackling of Israel and its security decisions right. and its sovereignty decisions. And, and, and so, so now here we are. Right. And therefore now we're cleaning up the mess that you put into this world. Right. You allowed, you're the ones who did also Afghanistan and showed that America is, is backing out. You're the one that, 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 that has um, given Iran all this funding to now take over. Let me count this out. Hamas in Gaza and Islamic Jihad in Gaza, Hezbollah in, 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 in Lebanon. Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen and Iraq, basically. So, like, four major... Right, they're a regional power. Re- yeah, four major... Uh, uh, um, what are they called? Not not puppets. Uh, uh, clients of theirs that basically do their bidding, their war bidding, totally funded by them. So, it's like, it's like you, America, you allowed this to happen. And, I mean, I, I still, you know, put blame on our own leaders... For allowing armament to be to be amassed against us right on our borders and to these things to happen right under our nose, okay, I, I I definitely blame our leadership for that. But America, people like Tucker Carlson can't just say like, oh, you know, we don't want to get you know, we don't want to get entrenched. In. Drawn Israel, in. why are you drawing us into your right. problem? Yeah, this is a, if we have a problem, it's definitely partially America's fault. Right, and uh, I I think. I think that uh, Tucker is wrong and and conveniently mm-hmm. looking away from the culpability. Well, maybe, you know, your tweet, Ishai, got almost 2,000 likes. So that's a lot of yeah. pinging into his account. I don't know if he uses it every day, but hopefully he'll wake up and see uh, what you had to say. And maybe he'll think. I don't know if he's a thinker. I don't know much about Tucker Carlson. Oh, he's a thinker. All right. But uh, but but he's thinking the wrong thing right now. Right. Well, speaking of doing some thinking, the, the Jordanians have been doing some thinking, Isha, and they decided they don't need any diplomatic relations with us right now. Right. They have withdrawn their ambassador and called him back to Amman. There's a Jordanian ambassador in Israel, and now there's not one. Moreover, our, our ambassador to Jordan, who left um, due to security concerns, they're telling him, don't come back. Don't come back. You're not welcome. Uh, right, so so things are heating up a little bit oh, uh, yeah, on and, our eastern border. And we literally have a war declared against us by, declared by Yemen. Yeah. So I took out all the jachnun that we had in the fridge yeah, and I threw, threw it, it out. in the trash. You know, there's this guy on, on Twitter. His name is Adiel Cohen. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of ours. Yeah. Right? So he is a really awesome young activist. And he's in Miluim right now. Uh-huh. So he took a picture of himself with two other awesome dudes. And he's like, hey, Houthis, we're coming to kick your bleep. Signed, Yemenite Jews. <laughs> yeah, that's and good. it got like 13,000 likes. Something huge. On, um, on which platform? On Twitter. Uh-huh. I'm okay. sure he's, he's, he's big on a lot of platforms. Yeah, he's good. But he's, he's very big. We're on Twitter, so I see him there. Um, and I'm proud of him. I'm curious. I am very curious uh, what Yemenite Jews are thinking and feeling right now. Speaking of... You of, know there's only one Yemenite Jew left in Yemen? Yeah. Because they were all kicked out because they were Jews. Speaking of, uh, of, uh, of Yemenite Jewry, uh, I recall now that there's also Ashkenazi Jewry, 
And Do in, you? And in an effort to be more Jewish, uh, our good friends at Prohibition Pickle are making hot smoked salmon as new on the Shabbat menu. And what is this all about? There's, there's also a new soup, uh, beefy truffled mushroom barley, and there's all this stuff. Why am I mentioning this? Because now uh, there's a campaign to help families oh, that's nice. um, who need help and who need to be kind of given fe- fed. If you'd like to sponsor meals for families, which families? Um, um, it's a called Feed a Family campaign, organization called Shivat Sion. And basically, it's the kind of families that, that a lot of times the, the husband is away in Miluim in, in the Israeli reserves or, God forbid, have, have, uh, have suffered some kind of uh, loss injury. or injury. And so, so our good friends at Prohibition Pickle are doing this beautiful thing. That's very nice, supporting some of the families. You know, right. you know, uh, even your brother Ishai, who's out in Miluim, and and you know, we're trying hard to support his family uh, emotionally while he's away, and you know, inviting them and playing with their kids and and things like that. But you you have to know that these soldiers have now been out for almost a month. That's right. And some of them, yes, they get off for like a day or two days, right, at a time, like once every every. 12 days they get off for like one day right so then they come back to their families but it's very hard and it's emotional because it's not just like abba went on a business trip you know and oh man he's going again it's like abba's away and he's in a war and and we're here by ourselves and there's a war outside and it's scary that's right so it's it is a very nice uh initiative um together with prohibition pickle to show a little bit of love a little bit of you know how to juice show love Send some food. That's what I'm saying. That's right? That's what I'm saying. It's, a, it's an easy way to, to, to give a little pick-me-up right. to families and, and right. give and, moms and a break. People and should know, by the way, that throughout all of Judea and Samaria, throughout all of Judea and Samaria are families who are refugees from the south and from the north, but especially from the south. Right. We, we have to understand, we're talking the, about- This there's, place. There's, there's cities like, like, like um, Zderot, is totally evacuated. Almost totally. I think th- there's 2,000 people left in Steroid, and there were like 20,000 people there before. 30. It's a 30,000 city, right. uh, uh, 30,000 people city. And, and it's right. empty and right now. 2,000 people decided to stay or whatever. Well, I don't quite understand people. that. I just want you to know that that uh, during Ben-Gurion in 1948, he refused to evacuate Jewish towns. Even ones that were like going to go down, like Gush Etzion. Famously, he did not evacuate Gushetzion. He's like, no, we have to, we have to stand up to and fight, we have, and that's gonna. We can take that up with the upper echelons, Isha. I don't know. Right. I'm just like, I'm just like, right now. Also, the rocket fire has has been sub- suppressed. Yes. So, so everyone say, should go home. Yeah. But you know what happened in Steroid? It was a total massacre in the streets. Those people are maybe not ready. Okay. To go. Okay. But we're now we've now sealed up that border uh, even I don't tighter. Know. Nothing sealed. Nothing's yeah. done. They're not. They're obvious. If they're keeping people out, it's because they think it's not done. Yeah. Any case, uh, that's that's the stuff that's happening. The war is very emotional, very intense. Right. Uh, it's got many, many, many different ripples. It's got many ripples. There's 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 also a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of confusion. Kids aren't in a normal school situation. Uh, anybody selling military gears making a lot of money. Right, probably. Uh, you know, the gun manufacturers and all that are making tons of money. The Americans are in town. Um, you know, the 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 anybody who's got a good social media feed is going to get a lot of new followers. There's 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 literally a lot going on at the same time. That's what I'm trying to say. There's like a powerful- well, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of energy, and you know, you can see that um, uh, that it's uh, very moving to see also that 
Jews from around the world have really been galvanized. I saw even the, I think it was an Instagram feed of like Chabad of some university in South Carolina. I think maybe University of South Carolina. Yeah. And there, there was Chabad of University of South Carolina putting up mezuzahs on doors. Yeah. They're like They're like the Jewish students didn't come to me and go, I want to take my mezuzah down. They came to me and went, I want a mezuzah. Right. On my door. Like I'm not like instead of being cowed by what's going on on campus, which, by the way, is like an entire show worth of conversation. Right. What's going on on campus right now. um, These students are being threatened like all over the United States of America. Jewish students are being threatened and um, they're standing up strong as strong as they can. But, you know, some campuses are worse than others. Um, and some institutions, I guess students are dumber than others. And one of the dumbest institutions in the United States of America is Harvard uh, University, where where they can't figure out that you can't assault uh, random Jewish people because they're Jews uh, on policy that has to do with Israel. And you put up a tweet, Ishai, or I think it was Aviva Klompas put out a tweet and you retweeted it. Yeah. Um, of... A, like this, like it couldn't be more stereotypical. It's like this, like little Jewish student yeah. guy, with like a little kippa and like a little baby face, walking down the quad or whatever with his like little backpack full of smart guy books, <laughs> and he is totally being accosted by fellow, I guess fellow Harvard students who are like holding kafias up in his face as if they're not like making him feel mortally dangerous just because they're they're holding up uh you know cloths in front of him and they're they refuse to let him walk down the path it really could be from 1934 it really could it's like it's it's unbelievable imagery and it's coming out of the united states of america yeah um, no so, not not out of the united states of america out of the, the right the elite institutions the elite institution right okay and and, and it's just like First thing, Harvard. It, I just I have I put up I re put up the tweet. I just wrote Harvard sucks. That's what I wrote. Okay, <laughs> that's basically it. And it's just like that's 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 just what it is. It's just a bad bad place. And and you know I just just. So I put out a tweet. And, also. and, and if this is the elite of of America, like where's America going? Right? Like like for well, God's sake, for- it was the elite of Germany too. Right. But I never would have equated Germany to the United States of America. That was not supposed to happen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyway. Also, another tweet is that I saw that the White House put out, uh, announces development of the nation's, the the White House announced the development of the nation's first national strategy to counter Islamophobia. Are you serious? Are you you serious? Well, I think that that is. Like, 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 is there any videos of, of Jews harassing Muslims? on campus it's like it's like that's what's going on and on on top of that on top of that i just wrote very simply silly white house we don't have islamophobia we have jihadophobia right it's the jihad and the jihad the jihad has many tentacles i'm i'm nervous for an america that can't recognize that by the way you know here in israel we're always incredulous at the lack of security in the united states i walk up to a school in america or a mall Every time when I go to America, and it's been a, uh, already two year, more than two years since I've been to the United States last, but every time I go to the United States, I cannot get over that anyone could just walk in anywhere at any time. You know, at least in Jewish schools or maybe in some private schools, 
they have it figured out that like you know somebody wants to hurt you so you better protect that building and plus who's more important in the entire known universe than your children right who's like what could be more important than that but in america it's just not like that and i and i'm worried for you america honest to goodness i am I'm worried for you. You, I don't think you understand oh. how vulnerable you are, and I don't under, under, I don't think you understand that Iran has been saying for years that we here in Israel we're the little Satan. You're the big Satan. Well, interesting. Uh, and Iran you, is very empowered right you're now. Gonna, you're going to hear in the next uh, segment uh, that that you reminded me that one of the things that that Colonel Richard Kemp says is that really part of the big strategy was to get a boiling point outside of Israel against israel against uh, and against jews like to to wake up the jihadism in britain in so when you're in, talking about the hamas the tactics of sending out like these blood curdling uh videos for those type of people yeah that's like blood in the water for a shark that's they what, see it right and they're ex- they're not disgusted they're excited that's exactly it so and, that's who those videos were for now if you go to the like biblical world of 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 people with with that kind of morality then it's disgusting but if you go to i'm saying if you go to the world of uh, if you broadcast those kind of videos to the kind of people who believe in mercy and and justice and goodness and truth then those people are disgusted by these these videos of of uh you know assaulting and mutilating jewish people but people who don't follow those values, they are excited by these images. You understand? Sure. Absolutely. So, so it was, absolutely. they took a chance that the people on Telegram would be more inclined to be their clients than not. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, the, uh, the Jihad Genie has awoken uh, and, uh, and uh, Richard Kemp discusses it in detail. And so uh, that, that Jihad Genie was, of course, most visible in Britain where we saw these Hundreds of thousands of people marching right under uh, for Big Hamas ben. under Big Ben there, and it's just like uh, bye that bye, bye bye UK. That's what it looked like to me. But in any case, and in France, Ishai, they're they're, France well. they're painting Magen Davids on the walls of Jewish owned businesses and houses where Jews are. Did you not see that? They're painting Magen Davids. They're like it's it's literally like Crystal Kristallnacht. All right, so here is uh, my discussion and uh, the hope that and the strength. That comes from uh, lovers of Israel and pro-Israel people like Colonel Richard Kemp. I had him on my show yesterday, uh, and here's our discussion, our important discussion uh, about the next steps of the battle uh, for Israel, but in his eyes for global civilization as well. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show. We are broadcasting live, our continuing uh, war coverage. There's a conflict here in the Middle East, here in Israel. Uh, it started October 7th in a horrific massacre, uh, but it continues now uh, in the Gaza Strip, uh, in the north of Israel, and potentially in Judea and Samaria and other places. Uh, it is intense. It is also global. It's a global game that's happening here as well. Let's take a little look at a kind of intro of uh, what has led to this moment and what we're facing today.
Israel is still reeling from the news that um, many fighters were killed, Israeli fighters, Jewish fighters were killed yet last night uh, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, different reports coming in. Right now the count is at 15 uh, Israeli fighters, uh, including a, a, a part of a unit of the Sayer Givati, the Givati uh, Special Recon uh, Unit, uh, and tank brigades have been hit. And uh, this is a war. And our leaders have warned us this is going to be a war with costs. Uh, they want to eliminate Hamas at all costs, uh, and all costs means that that we are indeed paying a cost. Uh, is it a right cost? That is also uh, being debated here in Israel. Should Israel go in with infantry and with tanks, or should we wait with until artillery uh, and air force are done? Uh, and we have many forces uh, that that are part of the fight, including uh, eighty tons of uh, of deliveries from the United States uh, that have been that have arrived I'm talking about I'm not talking about the the United States's uh, forces that have arrived and their armaments I'm talking about just uh, donations that have come from American Jews and pro-israel uh, lovers of Israel non-jews Christians etc have sent just from the United States 80 tons worth of stuff so we have a lot of uh, uh, fighting that we're doing uh, that word fighting reminds me of a slogan uh, by by one of my heroes which is Colonel Richard Kemp he always says, uh, keep attacking. Uh, and Richard Kemp has spent most of his life uh, fighting terrorism and insurgency, commanding British troops as a British officer uh, in the world's hotspots, including Afghanistan, Iraq, the Balkans, and Northern Ireland. Uh, he's now a writer, a journalist, media commentator, speaker, and also strategic consultancy. And uh, he's also somebody who's fought for Israel in the past and for uh, proving Israel's a more military, a military's morality, uh, and uh, I'm not surprised that a man who uh, has been in hot spots before is now back in the Middle East, back in Israel, uh, in the in the hot spot once again. Richard Kemp, shalom and welcome. Thank you very much, Isha. I'm, I'm just disappointed you haven't uh, introduced me by my Hebrew name, which you gave me, Avner, last time I was in. Hebron with you and that's right uh, that's right yeah. that's right that's 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 your that's your uh, nom de gour that's your nom de gour is Avner that's right Colonel Kemp even though I'm a Goy I still have a Hebrew name that's right that's right it's a good one uh, and it is uh, it is of a it was King David's general okay um you could be sitting on a on a couch in 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 southern UK but instead you are here why well, this is a fight that not just for Israel, this is a fight for world civilization. And um, if, if, if I can be of some assistance here, then this is a place I need to be. And, and I, I always believe that if you're going to be commenting or advising or uh, saying anything about a war, you've got to be somewhere close to where the action's taking place. And, you know, of course, anyone can sit around in Britain looking at the Internet and watching the television and all that stuff. But uh, but I, I think there's no substitute for actually getting a feel for the place and and, and the action. And what I, in the last three weeks, I arrived here on uh, Monday of three weeks ago. And since wow. then, I've been around the borders of uh, Gaza and around the borders of Lebanon talking to IDF commanders and IDF soldiers on the ground, preparing in the case of Gaza to go in, in the case of Lebanon, to defend against Hezbollah and potentially go in there as well. Let's go back. You've been here for three weeks. So let's go back to, to basically what happened. Uh, this Sabbath will mark a month uh, since it all began. I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying, uh, but I have this, and maybe you share this with me, uh, an internal will to respect my enemy. 
I, I don't like to just minimize them. Uh, and I and I like to think of my enemy as cunning, smart, and serious, so that I take him seriously. I think that uh, Hamas executed a brilliant strike against Israel, wreaking wreaking unbelievable psychological, emotional, physical havoc, burning buildings, uh, and destroying families, etc. First thing, what's your assessment of Hamas's attack, and what do you think their real goal is? I mean, I mean, it, it clearly wasn't a strike to destroy Israel. We had a uh, a colleague of ours, Mordechai Kedar, Dr. Kedar, on the show here, he posited that Hamas jumped the gun, uh, unlike what Iran actually wanted. But from your point of view, give me, just before we talk about the horrors and how awful it was, how do you assess the strike against Israel? Yeah, I think you can, um, let's say you can recognize the success of your enemy, even if you despise them wholeheartedly, as I do, certainly. Um, but yeah, as as you've kind of mentioned, uh, Mordecai Kadar um, and his assessment of of that, I'm sure he um, recognizes, as most people recognize, that this is not this was not a Hamas operation three weeks ago. This was not. I, I've watched to certain journalists and diplomats, and I think today even members of Knesset footage that has not been seen by most people, which is absolutely horrific. Um, and oh, you saw the, you saw that you saw that presentation. I saw that a few days ago, and it's, it's how bad was it, Richard? It, it, incredibly bad. I mean, I've seen some very nasty and unpleasant things in in real life, in the flesh, in different battlefields, but I, I've never seen anything quite as awful as that. And I don't need to go through all the details of it, but but one thing that struck me was the the way in which what what appeared to be a well organized, well disciplined well-prepared military force went against a load of civilians. And, and, and when you, if you direct a military force against civilians, then it can only be an utter catastrophe. And that, that struck me very strongly. Uh, and th these are not people who were trained in the Gaza Strip. This is, these are not just Hamas. This is Iran. This is training by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps to uh, organize them to equip them to to teach them how to fight in the way they did and 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 that's the product and and and, and the the plan was very successful the plan surprised the idf and and i think it surprised hamas as well i think they got much more success than they could ever have dreamt of and, and i think more success than most of us would have dreamt of um, but but their plan, you rightly say, their plan is not, and their intention is not to defeat Israel or the IDF. They know they can't do that, no matter how well organized, trained, and armed they are. They cannot do that. Yes, they scored a victory then, but they're, they're not going to win ultimately. And they and and I think that their objective was what their objective always is, which is to entice Israel to carry out counteraction in the way that it's been doing for the last three weeks, to carry out airstrikes and ground operations in order to kill their civilians. The, the, the objective of that, of course, is to invite world vilification, hatred of Israel, to get other people to join in, like Hezbollah in the north, like the Houthis in Yemen, like militias in, uh, in, uh, in Syria, and other jihadists to join the fight, not just the fight in Israel, but the fight against Jews all around the world, as we've been seeing on university campuses and elsewhere. That's their objective and their plan, and it works like a dream every time because the sucker media, the sucker United Nations, and, the, and I actually the sucker is probably the wrong word because I think there's 
malignant intent there as well. Every single time they form part of the, the cycle of violence, which encourages Hamas to do it again and again. Colonel Kemp, you are a British patriot, and yet um, I saw over the Thames tens of thousands, maybe it was hundreds of thousands. It looked huge, huge pro-Hamas, pro so-called pro-Palestine rally, but really was really not a pro-Palestine rally. It was an anti-Israel pro-Hamas rally with no with no apology made for the heinous attack on Israeli citizenry and the, the destruction of, of, of civilian life, etc. Uh, you know, the murder of, of, uh, of, of kids at a music con- concert. So, so you mentioned this, I wasn't even go- going to go here, but okay, you have this international, uh, you have this international uh, uh, force against Israel. One of its main heads is in the UK. So I just, as a, as a British citizen, I want to ask you, how do you understand it all? How do you deal with it? How, how do you understand your own country in light of that? And let's, and let's be real here. Let's be frank. Yeah, let's be, let's be totally frank. You're absolutely right. And just, just to start off with, there are three prominent Hamas leaders living in the UK with UK passports, living in UK houses in London, known to the authorities, been there for years photographed with some of the Hamas leaders in Gaza in the past. These are at large in the UK now, part of a prescribed terrorist organization. It's prescribed or designated in the UK as such. But this whole, this whole um, uh, artifact, artifice, the, the whole of the, um, what, what led to the demonstrations, the protests, this is a result of decades <coughs> of anti-Israel propaganda. This is not pro-Palestinian stuff. This is anti-Israel stuff. It's been built up over many, many years, not just in the UK, in other European countries, in the United States and elsewhere. And the the, the premise of it, the whole premise of it, uh, which makes it very hard to defeat, is the fact that you, Israel, you're an illegitimate country. You've stolen Palestinian land. You have illegal settlements. You have illegal occupation. You have... Um, an apartheid state, all of this, this whole narrative has been embedded in the Western world for decades. And whatever happens to you, okay, the, I think probably any decent person, almost any decent person, would see the horrible events of three weeks ago as absolutely beyond, beyond description, beyond anything really that we've seen probably since uh, either the, the heyday of the Islamic State or even going back to the Holocaust. But that, that doesn't matter because you had it coming. This was what you brought on yourselves by your horrific settler colonialist policies. And that is the narrative. And it's, you know, you can, you can, you can talk to people about raping girls and beheading babies and murdering people and dragging people off into captivity in Gaza. But that, none of that matters because you're in the wrong. And that's right. where it all comes from. Um, I, 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 on a technical level, I call what you just talked about, I call that the occupation accusation. And um, I say that if, if students do not know how to answer the occupation accusation uh, claims, then, then they are disarmed. Israel's got to know how to answer that. And the answer is not uh, that we're a really good country that makes cherry tomatoes and has gay rights uh, and, uh, and, and even sends... It's it's planes to help uh, uh, places that that have faced earthquakes. 
Those are not answers to the occupation accusations. You must make it clear that we have a right to this land. This is our land. Sadly, our government has allowed this narrative to flourish around the world by not speaking very clearly. Okay, so we covered the the, uh, the physical, uh, the beginnings of the war. We covered uh, also the, the international response, and you pointed out uh, the importance of, of what I call the narrative war, the uh, the the narrative that, that basically posits that Israel is in the wrong in the first place. Now let's talk about how the war is going. Uh, it's been a month. Uh, Israel decided to strike back. They have ident- Israel has identified its goal as destroying Hamas. I haven't heard it clearly said or stated that the goal is to fight Iran or to fight jihadism uh, in Israel or around the world, but specifically to deal with this, uh, you know, organization and to and to and to destroy it utterly. Uh, even even the conquest or retaking of or or uh, recapturing or resettling Gaza has not been discussed clearly. Has not been stated as a goal. So tell me about what you think of. Uh, Israel's goals and how it's been uh, doing so far in your military estimation. Well, I think I think Israel's goal is is relatively clear, which is um, well twofold. One of which is to clear Gaza of armed terrorist groups. That includes Hamas. It includes Islamic Jihad. It includes the other gangsters there as well. Uh, and and that's a, a pretty well clear and defined objective. Now that does not mean that you eradicate Hamas entirely around the world. It may mean that you kill most of them in Gaza. It may mean some of the others escape to fight another day. We don't know that, but it means basically eradicating that problem. And the second goal, of course, which the Prime Minister and others have made very clear is to, a very important one, is to rescue the hostages, get them back, which is in itself one of the most demanding challenges that the IDF faced, probably that they've ever faced. And I think the you know beyond that, there are there's obviously questions as to what happens to Gaza afterwards. We can discuss if you want, but beyond that, we 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 must never forget that up in the north there are something like 150,000 missiles and UAVs controlled by Iran, operated by Lebanese Hezbollah, another proxy of Iran like Hamas and like Islamic Jihad. Um, waiting to be unleashed. Now, the the big question is whether or not they will be unleashed by Iran. Obviously, we've seen quite a lot of action up there already in lower level uh, attacks by both Hezbollah and Hamas from Lebanon. But we may see a much more concerted attack if Iran decides the time is right for that. And Israel will obviously have to respond to that. Uh, And it it may be, you know, I might, for example, argue and no reason why anyone should listen to me, but I would argue, I think, that that should be dealt with anyway. Even if there is not a concerted attack from the north, it cannot be allowed to continue to exist after what happened three weeks ago. We cannot allow that. The place I'm staying in now in Tel Aviv is full of refugees from Kiryat Shimona. I've been up there in Kiryat Shimona and other places close to the border. The people are terrified, not so much of the rockets, or they should be, but of the potential for Hamas or Hezbollah coming across the border as they did, as Hamas did three weeks ago. So that has to be dealt with, I I would argue, as soon as possible. On top of that, of course, there's the potential for even greater flare-ups in Judea and Samaria and inside, let's say, Israel proper, for want of a better word, as we've seen repeatedly. Uh, And so, you know, the IDF's got a great deal of challenges on its hands, a huge amount of challenges. As to how it's going so far, very briefly, none of us, 
none of us really know much about what's happening, and that's a good thing. It's absolutely right that we should be in the dark about what, what the IDF is doing inside Gaza. Operational security, it takes that. And what I've been able to understand is that the IDF has been making some pretty good progress inside Gaza. They've been in the tunnels, they've been destroying tunnels. They've been uh, destroying, they've been killing uh, quite a large number of significant Hamas commanders and fighters, destroying rocket launchers and anti-tank missile systems. So obviously it's potentially quite a long process, but from what I can see so far, okay, we, we've tragically seen, as you mentioned earlier, the loss of a number of IDF soldiers uh, already, and unfortunately we're likely to see more. But as long as it continues on course as it is now, and as long as the United States does not try and restrain Israel from prosecuting this attack to the end, I think we're going to see a, a successful operation inside Gaza. Okay, so um, I'm trying to decide what we should uh, go to next, but uh, Lou, one of the producers of the show, writes, uh, please discuss the attack from Syria and the Houthis as well. So he's trying to understand what are the other kind of players around us uh, because, because I mean, this was this was a, 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 a news item that I saw yesterday, which was an unusual headline. It said, Yemen declares war on Israel. I was like, Yemen declares war on Israel? I was like, what, what's going on here? But obviously, we're living in a new Middle East where Yemen uh, is now a Iranian stronghold. And uh, guess what? The, you know, the news around Saudi Arabia... Uh, is tighter and and the you know the the Iranian machine keeps going. Now they have yet another stronghold of of their ideology and and their firepower. So let's talk a little bit just about about that. Like like and maybe within that question, I'll ask I'll ask the follow up question that I wanted to ask, which is, okay, what are the Americans doing here? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? They have brought in tremendous firepower, equal to most states, the the, the amount of firepower that they've brought. Is that a good thing? Uh, so those are my two questions about Yemen and about America. Right. Well, as you rightly say, Yemen and the Houthis in Yemen are an Iranian proxy. Um, and of course, they're going to declare war on Israel. Uh, and, 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 you know, a few days ago, they fired a number of um, drones and ballistic missiles towards Israel, which were intercepted by U.S. warships in the Red Sea. And since then, they fired more which have been intercepted by Israel. And Israel now has missile vessels within in, in the Red Sea itself to, to help defend. Um, none of those missiles came close to Israeli territory, although they were aimed at that. And that's, of course, not the first time. We have seen in the past, we've seen uh, missiles fired or drones fired from Yemen towards Israel. Um, it, as, as we've seen um, Iranian proxies in Yemen attacking Saudi Arabia and the UAE. So this is not really, I don't think, a surprise. I don't think it's a massive challenge because I think Israel has the capability of repelling anything that Yemen can throw at it. Then, of course, you mentioned Syria as well. And there are a significant Iranian proxies inside Syria, um, which have been pushed forward with a view to try and attacking Israel. Attempts to fire rockets at Israel from, Ye from Syria have occurred. Israel has been bombing uh, Syrian airfields in Damascus um, and I think Aleppo in the last uh, in the last few days. And of course, we know that Iran has been trying to develop a base of operations against Israel in Syria for several years, which Israel has been striking probably almost once a week for for a long time. 
so this is the um this is the the, the the you know the reality of what Iran calls its active axis of resistance. It's proxies all around the region, directed at different countries, different allies of the U.S., but in particular directed at Israel. And the final, your second question was about the U.S. presence. I think right, the U.S. Just, carries... just let's just let's give a like we're talking about two carrier groups, and then another marine group is here. I've also heard rumors and i've seen some pictures that the delta force is here special forces are operating inside of gaza already supposedly without weapons and just advising but who believes that and so uh you know the, the there's like there's other players here uh i have a very good source uh who told me that tons of equipment uh u.s equipment is is heading here right now uh in, in terms of rearmament for israel and so like just everything from like 5.56 bullets of M16 bullets, things like that are, are, are running short and, and there needs to be a resupply. That's happening. Okay, so like on the one hand, we're talking about a huge uh, uh, arsenal, probably also including nuclear umbrella as well that has arrived here. Um, at the same time, there's a sense that President Biden, who gave a great speech on the one hand, is also somebody who's already starting to hint uh, through Anthony Blinken and himself that he wants a two-state solution. There's talk about re-empowering the PA and other solutions, including, uh, what did I hear now? Saudi takeover of the Gaza Strip, a multinational takeover of the Gaza Strip. And we also know that that President Biden, along with his, his predecessor, President Obama, were close to the Iranian regime, tried to make deals with them, tried to loosen the, the, the not tried, succeeded in loosening uh, the... Um, uh, the uh, what do we call it? the regime? The um, uh, uh, when they block them from from getting money. What's that called? I forgot the name, Richard. What's it called? The sanctions. Sanctions regime. That's right. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, unblock, uh, uh, undid the sanctions regime, allowed them to go towards a nuclear bomb, released uh, two hundred and fifty billion dollars, maybe on even pallets of cash. Who knows? We're talking about people that 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 have wanted their the, the Iranians to come out of the little jail that they were in, have, have empowered them, and are now calling for a two-state solution. On the other hand, here they are defending Israel, rearming Israel. How are we to understand uh, the presence of the U.S. superpower on our shores here? Very simple question. I think um, very simple situation. I, I mean, the first thing I would say is that uh, in the same way as I, I believe that President Biden's foreign policy has been responsible for Russia invading Ukraine. In other words, the 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 the, the disgraceful and and uh, humiliating withdrawal of the U.S. and NATO from Afghanistan. I think that empowered Putin and encouraged Putin to invade Ukraine. Um, in the same way as that happened, I think I, I would lay at the door of the U.S. foreign policy decision makers what's happening over here now, because. We've, we, as you rightly laid out just then, we, we've seen years going back to the Obama administration and, and taken up again with the Biden administration. We've seen years of appeasement of Iran, encouragement of Iran, funding of Iran, allowing, and allowing Iran to develop its nuclear weapons program, albeit pretending we're not doing that, but we are doing that. And, uh, and, and then I think, you know, more up to date than, than any of those things, we've seen the distancing of, President Biden from the Israeli government refusing to allow uh, 
Prime Minister Netanyahu to be invited to the White House. These things, which I think all of them, when you put them together, encouraged and emboldened Iran to do what it's done now. So, I, you know, I think that a lot of the blame for what's happened, obviously the blame is with Iran and with the, with the terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, but, but I think a lot of culpability has to lie with, with the current US administration. But now they realize what they've done, I think, and, they, and, and you know, they're, they're absolutely terrified that they've let the genie out of the bottle here and have sent these massive forces to the region to try and contain it. And you mentioned the carrier strike group in the Eastern Mediterranean. The purpose of that is to deter Hezbollah from attacking Israel. Um, I, I don't know how big a deterrent that is. I mean, I question whether that would actually be used. And if I question it, then I suspect Nasrallah questions it as well. And then there's the other carrier strike group, the Eisenhower carrier strike group, that is now directly threatening in the Gulf, directly threatening Iran in case it decides to either unleash Hezbollah or some, carry out some other form of intervention. So these things exist uh, as, as deterrents. Uh, as far as US forces inside Gaza, I would take that with a bit of a pinch of salt, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if there aren't US special forces and British special forces here to do what they can to help the IDF in rescuing the hostages, if nothing else. And, and I mm. think that would be an important contribution and that using their expertise to help. But let's not forget, um, I mean, one, one comment I would make on all this is, I, I don't believe the US should use its military force unless, it absolutely, unless Israel is in a real struggle that it can't deal with. Because I think it's so important for Israel's regional deterrence and credibility that Israel is seen to fight its own war here, not rely on Big Brother from the US. But the final thing I'd say, we've, we've mentioned allied forces. We have Chinese warships in the region. We have Russian uh, aerial surveillance and attack aircraft on 24-7 patrol in the region as well. So there, is, there are all the ingredients. And, and let, let's not even, I won't even mention them, but let's not forget Turkey and its, uh, its stance on this. But you know, I think we've got all the ingredients for something getting really out of hand here. I hope it doesn't. I, I'm not suggesting it's going to, but but there is the potential for a much wider conflict, I think, in this region. Okay, let's take a little bit of, uh, let's take a view of a video together just for a second of uh, Israeli operations inside of Gaza, what it's looking like. What does that look like to you, uh, Colonel Kemp? Does it look like Afghanistan, Iraq, Northern Ireland? What does that remind you of? Reminds me a bit of Gaza, actually, to be <laughs> honest with you. But uh, no, it's the same thing. I mean, I, I, I mentioned before, I've spoken to a lot of these troops getting ready to go into action, including some of the ones that you will have seen in that footage in the last few days. And what I would say is um, talking to them is inspirational. These young men, and, and, in, and in many cases, old men who are a reservist called up to, uh, to fight as well. You know, they, they are, what, what struck me, and it's, it's as much the same as with British soldiers getting ready to go into action. There was a degree of apprehension because they know the real dangers they face, but there was absolutely no question about their commitment and their determination. And this is where one of the differences is between um, the IDF and let's say British forces in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever, American forces. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very similar. The IDF wear a strange sort of green uniform, whereas we wear a camouflage uniform. And a lot of them, most of them, all of them speak with some strange 
in some strange language that I struggle to understand, although there are many Brits and Americans and others among them. Um, but this is one of the big differences here, I think, is, is that these soldiers are fighting on their own doorstep. We were fighting thousands of miles from home. These are fighting on their own doorstep. They know what happened three weeks ago. They're absolutely committed to protecting their families, their friends, their countrymen, their, their, their land. Um, and, 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 and it was, for me, talking to them was very humbling, actually, as well as inspirational. Um, I'm sure, you know, knowing what I know of the IDF, I'm sure they will do an extraordinary job inside Gaza. Uh, and, and I have little doubt. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be tough. We are going to see more casualties, but it's going to be, I think, ultimately a victory for the IDF, which is sorely needed now. Uh, and, and above all, I mean, I would go back to the the issue of the hostages, which none of us should ever have out of our minds, those poor people who are in tunnels or other buildings, monsters, what they can be thinking, I, I have no idea. I've been involved in hostage rescue situations in the past, but that's in, that's in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it's involved maybe two, three people in different incidents. Even that is immensely challenging when you've got over 200. I, I don't even like to think about the uh, the challenges that are faced by the IDF in getting them out. But I think if any if any army in the world can rescue even some of those hostages, then I think it's the IDF. I think I have a clip here uh, that I marked British soldier, and I thought maybe I would put that on. I think it's a long clip, so I won't play all of it. But let's uh, see. Uh, what this uh, British-Israeli soldier has to say. Hi, everyone in Tel Aviv. This is Ben. We're uh, here on the northern border, preparing for whatever might happen here. It's amazing to see what you guys are doing and all the things you're donating, but there are a lot of things that uh, you could get rather than sweets or snacks that make a big difference when you're preparing to go into combat. A lot of things that even combat soldiers have forgotten because it's been a long time. I'm going to share with you a few of those things that you can buy in the supermarket that can make a big difference and explain why they can make a big difference. Uh, to um, the So let's have a look at some of the things. First of all, this black cellar tape, especially Tessa, if you can get it, is a company we use on everything. It ties our gear to our weapons to make sure that we don't lose what we use. For example, here, okay, we use it on all our equipment, our magazines. It's really important. If you can get black cellar tape, especially Tessa, that, that could be very helpful. And we have paracord or any kind of rope you can get like this from Ricochet. We use it again to tie our equipment to us to make sure we don't lose it if we go behind enemy lines, if we go into combat. Really important things, you can buy these almost anywhere. First aid kits, okay? You don't know where the medic's gonna be if you're on the front. There are especially important things you can get, like small bandages like this that can make a big difference. Or you can go into Super Farm and get Lycoplast, which will deal with small cuts. Like, All right, so there's, uh, you know, he's talking about really what's, what's, what's needed out there. Uh, but he's a, I guess, a British-Israeli soldier from the from the accent, um, and we saw the the tanks operating. There's one more video that I wanted to play while you're here. Uh, Before this one you do is, that guy, that guy is a good friend of mine. I met it, I know him very well, and uh, oh yeah, I saw, him a, I saw him a few days ago up at Nazaria. All right, what's his name? You remember his name? Dan. Dan. So he's out there fighting for us, uh, and he's uh, he's a cool guy. And I've, I have tons of videos of English language soldiers making great videos, explaining themselves, explaining why we're fighting this battle. Uh, let's just look at another one, really. Here's another English-speaking soldier. I was going through my personal items this morning, and I found something that shocked me. 
and gave me a real realization of why we're here. I don't know who put it in, but as I was going through, I found this. My son's toy Sefer Torah. Someone probably put it into my personal belongings right before I left on Simchat Torah on Shabbat. I look at this and I say that this is the reason that we're here. We're here in the name of Hashem to spread goodness, to spread light onto Am Yisrael and onto the whole world. And we're here for our children and our children's children and for the rest of the generations of Am Yisrael. And I want to be very clear, Am Yisrael Chai, we're here because of Hashem. Hashem gave us this land. He promised it to Abraham, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov. And we're here thousands of years later, still defending the same land. And the reason that we're here is to spread goodness. We're here in the name of good. Bezrat Hashem, this coming Shabbat, go to your shul, kiss the Torah, come back home, give your kids a blessing and give them a big hug and a kiss, and tell them, everything will be okay. Am Yisrael is a very strong nation. We're going to go on, and we're going to get stronger, and we're going to defeat our enemies, and together... All right, so that was that was uh, quite a, you know, uh, that was an English-speaking soldier with a lot of heart and a lot of spiritual messaging. And here's another English-speaking soldier, if I recall, this video is kind of more uh, uh, hard-nosed about the, the, the battle. Dear uh, brothers and sisters from uh, Toronto, of uh, Greenberg asked me to uh, ask me to post this, so here I am next to Gaza Strip. Let me first, if I um, I may, uh, calm you down and say that uh, everything will be okay. The worst is behind us, and our mission now is to move on, to look forward. Let me just say that we're about to, to witness a significant turning point in the long timeline of our people's uh, history. But uh, how are we to make this change? How are we to to avenge the dead? How are we to restore the national pride? David HaMelech answers, Lo bechayil velo bekoach ki im beruchi amar Hashem tzvakot. Lo bechayil, not with this metal piece. Velo bekoach, not with this metal piece. Ki im beruchi, with the spirit, with the support that we've been getting from you, from Jews all around the world, only then we can win. The equation is very, very simple. As long as as we, as we get the full support of you, the people, the Tzibur, victory is sure to come. Not a question of... Okay, so um, there's there's some of the boys out there. And there's, a, what, what, what do you call it in the, in the military language? Esprit de corps? Is that, is that, did I pronounce that right? Was that, no, was that French. Right? We, don't, we don't use French in the British Army. No, you're oh, right. It is, it is it's, esprit, esprit de corps, comradeship, whatever, band of brothers. It all right. means the Sort of thing, and it's uh, it's absolutely fundamentally important because when you're fighting, yes, of course, you're fighting for your country, for your family, your friends. But I think at the moment of battle, you're fighting for the people to your left, to your right, behind you. You're fighting for your brothers in arms, and and, and a military unit, particularly a military unit in combat, is closer than family, uh, and it's it's so important if you expect somebody to get up out of a trench or get out of an armored personnel carrier and expose themselves to risk of death, then you've got to have that, uh, what you would call esprit de corps or, or brotherhood uh, among, the, among the troops. And it's very, very evident from everything I've seen uh, among the IDF soldiers I've, I've met in recent days. Um, let us, let's just take a few comments from, uh, from the folks listening right now. 
first, Moshe Herman, uh, my friend and, and one of my producers and, a, and a, a, close, a close buddy of mine, says that jihad is at war with the West. When will we wake up? What do you say to that, Richard? Uh, I, I think I think it's absolutely right, and it, and you know it, it was it was the case before nine eleven, and if nine eleven didn't make it obvious, then I don't know what would have done. But nevertheless, we did not wake up. Even if we woke up briefly, we've been back to sleep again. So you're, yeah, I mean, the the answer is it's I don't I don't know the answer. I do know that we need to wake up, and as I said right at the beginning, this is not just Israel's fight. This is a fight for the whole of the civilized world in which jihad and jihadists are ranged against us. And you saw it on the streets of London. You've seen it in the United States. These people want to change our society. They want to bring us down. And the spearhead is jihadists here in, in, uh, in the Middle East, particularly those who are led and, and funded and armed by Iran. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it is actually absolutely sickening to see the level of appeasement that we've seen, not just from the United States, not just from Obama and Biden, but also from the British governments and other European governments who think that, I think Churchill's words were something like, if you feed the crocodile, maybe he will eat you last, something like that. That's an abbreviation of what he said. And that's the mentality that we face. And, it, you know, anyone can sit here and say, we've got to wake up. But I'm not sure I have the confidence that, that our leaders today will wake up and will deal with this problem. I, I want to tell you, uh, Colonel Kemp, that, that uh, coincidentally, uh, in the last few weeks before uh, this attack, I have been reading uh, a book called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, Reich, right? It's a very famous book. Uh, and I was just at the chapters dealing with a Chamberlain and his appeasement of Hitler specifically uh, of the giveaway of Czechoslovakia, the Sudetenland there. What I didn't know is how important the Sudetenland was. I, I, I knew there was a German population there, but I did not understand that there were massive defenses, fortresses, fortress defenses and, and walls and, 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 and a whole heap of defenses that were really good, the thing that could have stopped Hitler. And he was absolutely unable to defeat that. But he, through political machinations and through what the author describes as almost an obsessive need by Chamberlain to appease Hitler, uh, that's the way he described it. Uh, really, the war was given uh, to to great success to to the Nazis uh, to to move forward with their effort to conquer all of Europe and to eradicate the Jews. So the appeasement, you know, is in hindsight, it's absurd, it's ridiculous. But but in the time you see that 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 people do that. I mean, I I must tell you that there are reports now of the few surviving uh, female soldiers who were the video monitors. They were the information. Uh, uh, um, uh, they manned the monitors that that made sure that they checked on what's happening on the other side. And they said, no, we've been reporting for months that they're training for a breakthrough right across from us. It's happening underneath our very nose. Okay, so you're talking about appeasement. I mean, we look the other way. We fund the jihad. We allow it to happen. We give them territory. We, 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 we you know, the West sends money to them, et cetera, to Iran. It's like, I, I, my question to you is, I want to phrase it in a question is, where's the repentance going to be to come back to a policy of common sense? I'm I'm not sure there's going to be that repentance or or even recognition or certainly not admittance 
of the culpability here. But I think, you know, my, my biggest fear on this in this situation, my, my biggest hope is that by Israel smashing the hell out of Hamas and hopefully Hezbollah as well, this will give Iran, even, even if they only deal with Hamas, it will give Iran a bloody nose. And, it, and, and there's only one thing that deters people, and that's strength. Weakness provokes and encourages offensive and aggressive action. And my biggest concern is that the United States, we, Biden does not have a great track record in the foreign policy world. He doesn't have a great track record in supporting Israel either. Yes, what he's done, his, some of his speeches and his deployment of US forces has been a good thing. But I just wonder how long that, that will last, how, how long he will maintain the strength to back Israel in this fight before he wants to start putting more pressure on Netanyahu to, to back down and have some kind of accommodation, or, which is effectively, that is appeasing. It's appeasing Iran, and it's appeasing organizations like the United Nations, human rights councils, and, uh, and human rights groups, and, and all of them, you know, so much of the media that's ranged against Israel, th these people, they're, they're ripe to be appeased by Biden. And I just hope that he is able to, to, to have the strength uh, to 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 continue to to allow Israel to 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 do what it has to do, and if it, if that doesn't happen, it's not just a, a catastrophe for a catastrophe for Israel. It's a real catastrophe for the whole of the Western world. So there's a lot on the line here, according to your the, your understanding. This is not just a small uh, kind of you know uh, little little battle. Uh, between a dissident group and, and Israel, you, I, I see that you're painting this in in much more global and civilizational uh, colors. Is that right? Yeah, and if you, if you, even if you just take one one aspect of it, which is let's say the rise of the Islamic State, when the Islamic State was in its heyday um, in Syria and Iraq in particular, okay, the Islamic State still exists, but it's been largely smashed. It still exists. There are still elements in places like Afghanistan and the Middle East and elsewhere. But when it was in its heyday, it inspired so much terrorism. Jihadists from the UK and from other countries in Europe and, and other countries around the world went to fight with it, were inspired and encouraged by it, came back uh, well, well trained, well prepared. The, the, the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda as well encouraged attacks in our countries. The we've seen some terrible terrorist attacks, even if you uh, don't include 9-11. We've had some terrible terrorist attacks in the UK, in, in London, in Manchester, in other parts of the country, uh, inspired by this, this jihadism. And if, if these jihadists here succeed and, and are not completely vanquished by Israel, then that will further inspire terrorism in, in all of our countries. And we've already seen it. We've already seen the beginnings of it in France and in in Belgium, and, and no doubt there are plenty of others in in other countries that have been at least disrupted by our intelligence and security services so far. But it won't be the end of them if uh, if if uh, if Israel does not succeed here. Uh, very important point that you just made, which is the 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 opposite of appeasement. Uh, appeasement and losses, any kind of loss to the jihad encourages them, inspires them, and they get they get. Uh, 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 they get wind in their sails from it, uh, and they continue on and on. They want more. A, a long time ago, there was this famous film in America called Little Shop of Horrors, 
right? Which was was about this plant that just kept eating people because this guy Seymour kept feeding it. And that's I think I always think that that uh, the uh, the plant's name was the Audrey Two, and this Audrey Two was was the jihad. You keep feeding it, it just grows bigger and bigger yeah. until it uh, until it eats more and more. Uh, let's just uh, just comments uh, from Ellie who writes, it breaks my heart to see the Jewish people who are afraid for their lives in so many countries. Have we learned nothing since World War II? How can this be happening? It's shameful. And, and it is a tricky moment. I, I want to tell you, I, I, uh, Colonel Kemp, I was, in, uh, I was in the United States a week and a half ago for a short lightning trip. And guess what I saw? I saw something that I was hard for me to see and I wasn't expecting to see, but I saw Jews that were scared in the streets of Philadelphia and the streets of New York as well. And on campus, forget about it. So um, it's, it's it, as you said, it's not just a Israel question now. It's really, it's really has a global effect, even just specifically on Jews. Comments on that? Well, well, it's the same in the UK. And I've spoken to many of my Jewish friends and acquaintances in the UK who also are very fearful about what's happening on our streets. And understandably so. And, and it's what, what, what we, I sort of alluded to it before, but this is the result of decades of a, a, a slur campaign, a narrative that's been developed against Israel in all of our countries. And, and, and the focus of it, inspired by Hamas, inspired by the jihadists over here, the focus of it, the focus of these protest demonstrations of various different groups in university campuses in the UK, Europe, US, is not on Israel. They're not, yeah, they're, they're anti-Israel, but their focus is not on Israel. Their focus is on the Jewish diaspora in their countries. They want to terrify, intimidate the Jews at the universities in particular, but not just the universities, so that they stop supporting Israel. They, 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 they have it, they become so scared, whether it be physically scared or scared of being cancelled or branded as Israel supporters, that they stop supporting Israel. And it's, it's being successful. There's a lot, of, a lot of Jewish students on university campuses in the US, UK, who will speak against Israel or who will shut up and take their keepers off and not have a mezuzah on the door and not wear the Star of David. And, and it's, it's a way of intimidating them. Why do they want to intimidate them? Well, obviously, there is anti-Semitism, but they also know that uh, the strongest supporters of Israel in the United States and the UK and elsewhere are the Jewish community, and they want to undermine that and stop it. So these people are focused on that. And I would say to any of your listeners who, or viewers who um, are wondering what to do to help, I think I would say above all, support those Jewish students on university campuses in whatever way you can. Support the, the organizations that try and give them strength uh, and, and try and help them fight, because that is where. I think the greatest victory is coming outside of Israel for the, for the jihadists. Very good. Very important point, and that, that personally inspired me. Let's do one more comment, and that is from your countryman and my friend, Dr. Mark Pickles. He writes, Islamism is the prevalent philosophy of Islam today. I think he means to say jihadism and radical Islamism, including in the UK. The West enables Islamism. Whereas we should be supporting the Muslim reformers who themselves are oppressed by the Islamists. What do you think? No, I, I, he's absolutely right. As Dr. Mark Pickles is absolutely right on pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. um, but but the, 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 problem, the problem is we go back to this one word, appeasement. 
and in countries like you know take the UK, um, there's the whole the whole alliance between Islamism, jihadism, and the left, the left wing political movement, the woke movements in in the uh, in in Europe and and the US. There's that alliance which terrifies the politicians, and the the, the other factor is that they have. Um, there are a large, you know, there's a lot of Muslims in the UK, and they make up a big chunk of the electorate. And if, if you know, let's say a, a significant number of them is anti-Israel or is even, you know, pro-jihadist jihadism in some in some cases, um, you don't want to you don't want to annoy them, you don't want to offend them, you need, you need to appease them because you need their votes. So the best thing is to probably lie about the reality, which is what many politicians have been doing for, for too many years. Because frankly, they, they, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that all or even the majority of Muslims are, are on the side of jihadism, because of course they're not. Most of them simply want the same quiet life as the rest of us want. But there is a significant portion of them who, who are on that side and who the politicians do feel they need to appease. Uh, because what they don't do, they don't look at the bigger picture, they don't look at the longer term threat. In many cases, they're simply looking at the next five years until the next election, and, and the votes are what they need. Uh, Mark Pickles adds, he says, not a doctor, ex-corporal RAF, uh, <laughs> and with a smiley face. Uh, so He's God a doctor to me. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, you're a doctor to many of us. Uh, um, your uh, amazing service in the British Army. Uh, lasted for 30 years, uh, but you continue to be a fighter. Your slogan, keep attacking, uh, is a personal inspiration to me. Thank you very much for being on the show. But thank you even more for coming to Israel in this time of her need uh, and in this fight. And may we see uh, days of success ahead, uh, the eradication of, of those enemies, and a freer world through that, and not, God forbid, the opposite. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much, Yishai. It's been a real pleasure, and thank you for for having me. And uh, all I would say is I wish the very best of luck and uh, victory to the IDF in this tremendous struggle that they're facing. Colonel Richard Kemp, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that was awesome a discussion with Colonel Kemp. Uh, not only was it was it uh, was it was it spot on, but it was also deep, and we had a chance to really discuss with him. Uh, the issues that are so important. And I think, I think it's so important also sometimes to, to see it the way Kemp sees it, which is from the outside a little bit and how big it is. Even I was like, you know what, that it, it's, it's really big. Cause sometimes when you're in it, you're like, okay, I'm just struggling in my personal conflict. Uh, but it's much bigger than that. Uh, I got Valerie who writes first, they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was not no one left to speak for me. That was Martin Neumoller, right, a Lutheran clergyman, uh, a Christian. Christians, says Valerie, should be standing up and speaking out in blessings for Israel. I agree with that. I agree with that. Anybody uh, who uh, who uh, loves freedoms uh, and loves liberty uh, and hates the idea of being subjected by by by, by just a, a mob of, of thugs, uh, has to stand up right now. Speaking of that, uh, Khaleb Mash, Masharga says the Zionists must leave Palestine, all the Zionists. Well, Khaleb, uh, we're not going anywhere. Uh, this is our land. It's even in the Quran. 
and we are going to be here forever. And this war, we're going to fight, and we're going to win this fight because we have God on our side, Allah's on our side, uh, and we're going to defeat the people who want to kill women and children and fight without any honor whatsoever. No, no, these are not real men. They hide in caves. They kill women. Uh, this is not Islam, and this is not, uh, and this is not going to win either. Uh, Khalib says Israel is a rogue state. Uh, you know, it's only rogue if you don't believe in, in God or history. Uh, we are going to definitely continue to fight. Let's take a look. Just one more uh, uh, film. Uh, let's take a look at what uh, 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 the son of the son of uh, one of the Hamas founders uh, who went the other way uh, has to say about the situation today. Not this one. Sorry, that was a, that was a different one. Let's take it around here. the globe, and even in our capital, people are protesting for Hamas. Uh, they're saying for for the Israel to back off and stop with the airstrikes. Well, what do you say to those protesters? What is about their mindset? Okay, l listen. I, I cannot convince uh, the, the entire world of truth. Right now, uh, people are emotional. They hate to see children dying. Even though, you know, Hamas is killing the people at the hospital and we have evidence of that, but they still blame Israel. People can blame whoever they want, you know, but now we have to concentrate. We have to focus. Public opinion is very important, but unfortunately, it's not uh, the time to win the right. public opinion. It's the time to win the war against the most brutal terrorist organization living today, you know. And later on, when people look back, at the situation, they will understand what we were doing. We should not be afraid right. of the public opinion. We have to explain as much as we can. And you're you know, doing but that. Now we have to concentrate uh, on our goals. So that was uh, Musa Yusuf, uh, uh, and he uh, he's the Green Prince, uh, and he's uh, uh, out there talking about about how Israel has to not even try to win public opinion, but rather just win the war and destroy the bad guys. And that's how brutal they are. Very, very powerful video, and he's been given great interviews. And if you guys have any contacts for him, I'll try to get, have him on, on the show here on the Ishai Fleischer Show. I want to bless everybody, and thank you very much uh, for being with me. Uh, that was a very important hour. Uh, keep, keep connected with me uh, through uh, IshaiFleischer.com. And uh, we're going to put this together with Malka Fleischer for this week's uh, radio podcast uh, and other people. Uh, are going to add in uh, their uh, audios uh, to this week's show. We put out a show every single week. Please join us there. Uh, please also support uh, the various campaigns uh, of fighting for Israel's rights right now. One of them is through hebronfund.org. That's supporting the uh, Jewish people's first purchase in the land of Israel, Abraham's first purchase, and the first city of the Jewish people, the first capital of King David, uh, and also a city that's surrounded by uh, 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 an Arab city, mostly ruled by Hamas. So hebronfund.org. Uh, check out uh, my uh, other fund that I'm working for to help the communities around Judea and Samaria, especially uh, in, in actually in Judea. And the folks that I know, I'm just trying to help people defend themselves better, have first response needs, uh, and stay healthier. Uh, and that's at fightforisrael.org. Uh, check that out as well. And my good buddy, uh, ben Goldstein at UnityWarriors.com is doing a great job fighting, keeping us united and, and keeping us fighting. He's helped me a lot myself. Uh, so all that is, is and there's many more. There's many more good organizations that are doing unbelievable work. I'll have more video about some of other people's work uh, next time. Uh, but check out EshaiFleischer.com for all the other stuff uh, that we're doing, that we're putting out. 
including videos, uh, including uh, our, our great Instagram page with tons of videos that are ha- of cool stuff that's happening right now. So join us there. Twitter, a little bit more political fighting um, and our Facebook and so and our YouTube. So sign up, be part of it. It's happening all the time. And the whole point here is to be connected to Israel. If, if you're connected through EshaiFleischer.com or through me, you're connected to Israel and to the God of Israel. That's it. It's just that simple. You're connected to the land, the city, the state, the city of Jerusalem, the people of, of Israel, the city of Hebron, uh, and, and of course, the vision of God in this world. Be'ezrat Hashem. We can only try to reflect all that amazing stuff. Um, and so we are fighting. And here's uh, Ian says, I stand with Israel. And uh, uh, Chuku says, God bless Israel. Go right back at you, brother. Uh, and Stephen says, God bless the IDF. Uh, and uh, people from all around are saying, uh, blessing Israel to be continuously strong. Like Ivang, who says, long of Israel, I support you. Uh, and people from all over the world uh, are, are standing strong with Israel. I want to bless you wherever you are to continue to stand strong with Israel. I want to thank you for your support and thank you for your prayers. Keep it up because the war is far from over. And as Richard Kemp said, it's a big war, okay? It's a big deal. And it's going to touch you one way or the other. If you fight for it and help it w- help Israel win, help the forces of light and goodness win, the world will be a better place and you'll be affected by it. Stand back. Don't do a thing. Well, God forbid. Don't ever underestimate the enemy. He's got power and, you know, a darkness could come over the world, God forbid. Uh, as We will not let that happen. And we hope, we pray, we ask that Hashem does not let that happen as well. God bless you wherever you are. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. Lots of love. Thank you to all. And shalom. And thank you. Oh, and I knew it. I knew in my heart there was one more person to thank. And I want to thank uh, Leah Fleischer, uh, my awesome producer and daughter, uh, for helping me make the show strong. And maybe we can have her on the show next time as well uh, to give us the young person's perspective uh, on what's going on. All right, folks. Uh, our good. Uh, let's see. We got we got Uch, Uchechi Babi says, win, 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 Israel. Be'ezrat Hashem. Be'ezrat Hashem. God bless you, folks. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. And shalom. All right, folks. We're wow. back. That was an awesome segment. I'm very, very proud of that segment. That's I amazing. Think it's some so of amazing the, um, that he's here to show his support. And so many people, by the way, have done that. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's so fascinating to see how people respond to Israel in jeopardy. In some situations where there's danger, people run away. But when it comes to the Jewish story, they run towards. That's right. Right. They don't run away. And we've seen I've seen a bunch of people, Jews and non-Jews from around the world. They're just like, I can't sit here anymore in my comfortable living room in Arizona, in Leeds, in wherever I am. And I have to get on a plane like I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just getting on a plane. That's right. Um, And people have come here and we see you and we thank you and um with God's help, we're going to see better days together. Rabbi Shimshon Nadel, our, our resident rabbi and Kohen, uh, has prepared a segment for us to think about the war and, and uh, Jewish battlefield ethics and minimizing civilian casualties. That question, uh, this is, these are serious questions. And so he's got a 10-minute segment for us uh, about those Torah, Torah concepts of, of war. What does Jewish war look like from the perspective of the Torah? So here's Rabbi Shimshon Nadel. 
Shalom Yishai. In recent weeks, the state of Israel has been defamed, delegitimized, and demonized in the media, on college campuses, and by the international community for the heinous crime of defending herself from those who seek to destroy her. Unfortunately, this is not the first time Israel has been accused of war crimes. Following 2009's Operation Cast Lead and 2014's Operation Protective Edge, Israel was accused of crimes against humanity and violations of international law. But Israel's army has also been called, quote, the most moral army in the world by Colonel Richard Kemp, a decorated British officer who served as commander of all British forces in Afghanistan. In an interview with Israel's Channel 2 in 2014, Kemp went on to say that, quote, no other army in the world has ever done more than Israel is doing now to save the lives of innocent civilians in a combat zone. And a report issued after Protective Edge by high-level military officials, including top generals from the U.S. and Europe, found that, quote, Israel's conduct in the 2014 Gaza conflict met and in some respects exceeded the highest standards that we set for our own nation's militaries. They wrote, quote, it is our view that Israel fought an exemplary campaign adequately conceived with appropriately limited objectives, displaying both a very high level of operational capability as well as a total commitment to the law of armed conflict. The IDF not only met its obligations under the law of armed conflict, but often exceeded these on the battlefield at significant tactical cost, as well as in the humanitarian relief efforts that accompanied its operation. The State of Israel carries out strategic airstrikes targeting Hamas's leadership and military installations. The IDF gives warning through phone calls, text messages, the dropping of leaflets and roof knocking in order to evacuate an area that is about to be hit. During the current war, Israel is urging Gazans to evacuate in order to prevent the loss of innocent lives. While at the same time, we know Hamas targets civilians, brutally murdering innocent men, women, and children, young and old, and indiscriminately launching rockets into Israel. At the same time, Hamas uses human shields, intentionally placing civilians, women and children in the line of fire at risk as more casualties mean more support for their cause. They understand that today, war is fought not only on the battlefield, but on the battlefield of public opinion and social media. It's a battle of hearts and minds. The IDF's code of ethics, Tohar Haneshek, literally purity of arms, provides its soldiers with the rules of engagement. Among the basic values articulated in its, the spirit of the IDF is, quote, the IDF and its soldiers are obligated to protect human dignity. Every human being is a value regardless of his or her, her origin, religion, nationality, gender, status, or position. And, quote, the IDF servicemen and women will use their weapons and force only for the purpose of their mission, only to the necessary extent, and will maintain their humanity even during combat. IDF soldiers will not use their weapons and force to harm human beings who are not combatants or prisoners of war, and will do all in their power to avoid causing harm to their lives, bodies, dignity, and property. This comes from the IDF's code of ethics. But what are the Torah's battlefield ethics? What are the rules of engagement according to Jewish law? Is there an obligation to minimize, minimize civilian casualties? Jewish law is clear that one has the obligation to defend and protect and preserve his life and the lives of others. The mitzvah of pikuach nefesh, saving life, takes precedent over all the other mitzvot in the Torah except for three. As the Talmud teaches, it says in the Torah, and you shall live by them, and the Talmud adds, and not die by them. We have an obligation, the Talmud says, to save one who is in danger and not stand idly by. 
the Mishnah states that a rodef, one who is pursuing his fellow in order to murder him, is to be killed before he has the opportunity to murder. Concerning a burglar who tunnels into a home, the Talmud teaches, if someone comes to kill you, rise to kill him first. As Jews, we are merciful, the children of merciful. It would seem that it goes against our very nature to be cruel, even to terrorists or combatants. But in war, showing mercy when the time calls for a show of force is also wrong. As the Midrash states, Rabbi Elazar said, all who show mercy to the cruel will eventually be cruel to the merciful. In fact, all those who have the ability to save a life but instead do nothing are in violation of do not stand idly by the blood of your fellow and your eye shall show no pity. But the Torah prescribes a code of conduct, even in times of war. As the verse in Deuteronomy 23 instructs, when your camp goes forth against your enemies, keep yourself far from every evil thing. Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman comments there that the Torah is warning, quote, of a time when sin is commonplace. The well-known custom of military forces going to war is that they eat all sorts of abominable things, rob and plunder, and are not ashamed even of lewdness and all vileness. The most upright of men by nature comes to be possessed of cruelty and fury when the army advances against the enemy. Therefore, the verse warns, when your camp goes forth against your enemies, keep yourself far from every evil thing. It's been said, all is fair in love and war. And our Torah understands human nature and the breakdown of the very basic moral fiber which takes place or can take place on the battlefield. In his guide to the perplexed, Maimonides invokes the verse, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give up your enemies before you, therefore your camp shall be holy. Deuteronomy 23 verse 15. And he comments there, Unlike the camps of the Gentiles, dedicated to nothing more than corruption and crime, harming others and stealing their property, our objective is to prime people for the worship of God and to regularize their situation. According to Maimonides, we are different. Our camp is holy. This informs our very attitude towards war. The Torah in Deuteronomy 20 instructs that before Israel wages war, they must first offer peace. The Sefer HaChinuch provides the reason, quote, among the rationales of the commandment is the fact that the quality of mercy is a positive one. And it is appropriate that we, the holy seed, employ it in all of our matters, even with our idolatrous enemies, for our own advantage, not because they deserve mercy or loving kindness. And there is no advantage in killing them as they are willing to bear our conquest so that by doing so, there should be no corruption or anything that might show that we are cruel, causing all to hear or all who hear to curse us. The Torah, according to Maimonides in his Laws of Kings, chapter 6, the Laws of Kings and their wars, rules that the Torah prohibits attacking innocent women and children. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, in his commentary on Maimonides' book of mitzvot, writes that we are commanded that we be, when we besiege a city, when we surround a city, we must leave one of the sides unbesieged so that if they want to flee, there will be an escape route because through this we learn to act mercifully even towards enemies in a time of war. According to Rabbi Shol Yisraeli, however, the obligation to leave one of the sides of the city open in order to allow for people to escape 
that only applies in what is known as a milchemet rishut, literally an optional war. That is a conquest, a conquest fought to expand Israel's borders. But concerning a milchemet mitzvah, a mandatory war fought to preserve Jewish life, to protect our nation and our borders, Rabbi Yisraeli writes, quote, we do not find the obligation in war to distinguish between blood and blood. In the course of war, when laying siege to a city and the like, there is no obligation to make such distinctions. For Rabbi Yisraeli, in a Milchemet Mitzvah, there is no obligation to try and reduce casualties, potentially placing Israeli soldiers in harm's way, or somehow not fulfilling our objectives on the battlefield, or compromising our objectives. Instead, for Rabbi Yisraeli, it is the preservation of Jewish life which takes priority. But Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, who served as both chief rabbi of the IDF and later chief rabbi of Israel, disagreed and concluded that when possible, we must try and minimize civilian casualties. He wrote, quote, Despite the explicit Torah commandment regarding battle, we are also commanded to have mercy upon our enemy, to refrain from killing even during times of war unless necessitated for reasons of self-defense in order to achieve, achieve the objective of conquest and victory, and not to harm a non-combatant population. And it is especially prohibited to harm women and children who are not taking part in the war. It is the opinion of Rabbi Goren and others which guides the IDF today. War is ugly, and unfortunately, there are always going to be civilian casualties. That is the nature of war. But unlike our enemies, the IDF makes every effort to minimize civilian casualties. Israel's army is a kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's holy name that other armies can learn from. Our hearts and our prayers are with all of our holy soldiers. May God grant them success to complete their mission and come home safe. May God grant those injured a speedy recovery. May God return all of the hostages, all those in captive, to their families speedily. Wishing all of the listeners blessings from Jerusalem. Wow, that was very, very special to have Rabbi Shimshon discuss. Uh, That's important info. Important info, and, and, and it's important to also connect this whole story back to Torah. Right. It's so important to connect it back to Torah. Uh, at, at the end of the day, the, the, there's a God and Torah question that's happening here. And that God and Torah question that's happening here is, uh, first thing Amalek struck at us right. from the rear, uh, when we were divided, right. it, it's like... It's that's, that's, by the way, like a whole discussion. You know, for years and years, I thought we were dealing with Philistines. But we weren't dealing with Philistines. We were dealing with Amalekites. There's that's a, a whole other thinking process. That's right. That's right. There's no question that there's an Amalek thing going on here. But, but, but very often in the Torah looks, you'll see the Amalekites mixed with the Canaanites in the South. There's uh, they many, like many verses like themselves that. Right. There's no, many, in different many, societies. Absolutely. In fact, in fact, there's one, there's one story where they dressed up as regular Canaanites, but they were actually Amalekites. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's a thing. Yeah. If that's you want to know about this war, you can look back a few thousand years. Learn um, a lot. Um, I just want to give a one uh, Torah thought and then uh, uh, sign off the show. And that Torah thought is about this week's Torah portion. Uh, that Torah portion is about Abraham's life. And uh, it famously has the debate that Abraham had with God about the future of Sodom uh, and Sodom. Uh, they were they were 
they were sodomites and they were and they had created a very immoral society. God wanted to destroy them. So then so then Abraham argues with him not to destroy it if it has fifty righteous people and forty five righteous people yeah. and, 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 All the way down. and and he seems to be arguing with him uh, about 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 you know what God should do and not do. But I have a totally different read on this. Okay. Here's my read. Abraham was not arguing with God about godly justice. He didn't create the world. He doesn't know what's in the hearts of men. Only God knows that. You think that Abraham is really telling God, well, you shouldn't kill them. I think you shouldn't kill them if it's 40 people or 30 people and all that. Like He was really telling God what the, the proper amount of justice to all administer right, is. let's hear. No, of course not. What he was saying to him is like this. I, Abraham, I don't know godly justice, but I do know how you appear in this world. My whole job is to make you beloved in this world. Right. That's all I want to do. do. That's all I want you to become visible in this world. Mm. I want to make you beautiful, beloved. I want to make you look good, and I'm your PR agent, and therefore I am advising you as your <laughs> PR agent Yeah. what's What's going to be acceptable what's gonna, what's gonna in the be, eyes yeah. of the people? Because we want to do this thing called Kiddush Hashem. We want to sanctify God's name. So he was saying like, okay, you know, what's the minimum that you could accept in your justice that would make look good in this world? And so that's what he was arguing. And therefore, when he says, when he says to him, will the judge of the whole world not do justice? What he meant to say is, that's what people will say. Right, interesting. That's what he, He's not saying, I am challenging your system of justice. He's saying... I know people. I've been working as a preacher for a long time. I know how people think. And I'm, I'm here to make you be in the hearts of men. <clears throat> and so I know what the, you know, I'm advising you here. <clears throat> that also answers a very important tension that a lot of people point to. My answer gives a completely different perspective mm. on the tension that people have, which is in the beginning of the Torah portion, Abraham argues for stone. But then when God says to him, sacrifice your own son, he doesn't seem to argue for him. So people are like, what's wrong with Abraham's system of justice? Why uh, doesn't he? The answer is because over here, when it came to Sdom, he wanted to make God look good. So he was making sure that he had good PR, that it was done right. But here he saw that God would come out amazing through this thing. Hmm. He understood that. And, and also he understood also that he, he maybe can't be as involved in an issue that's touching him personally. But the point is, is that he knew that the that the Akeda got the uh, the famous uh, binding of Isaac would come out looking good. He knew that God, you know, would would do this right, and he felt. Therefore, he didn't argue with him. And so that's a totally different perspective on uh, on 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 this uh, on this issue. In any case, <clears throat> Maka Fleischer, uh, I want to once again, uh, I want to finish up the show. I want to say that uh, we're in we're in days of fighting, yep, and in days of mourning. Right. Both of those are true. And somebody says to me yesterday, he goes, he goes, how beautiful are the Jewish people? On the one hand, we go out to 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 fight with our enemies, and on the other hand, when at these funerals we cry uh, 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 with such depth at these funerals for our fallen comrades, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. But I told him that when I was in the army, we had a brigadier who came down and said to us after one of our after one of our guys was was killed in battle with Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. He told us, you guys can go to this funeral, but you are paratroopers. Do not cry. You stand there at attention at the funeral. Mm. After the funeral, when the cameras are off, you can do whatever, do you, whatever want. you want. But when the cameras are on, you show the enemy, we are resolute. Mm. 
We will not give you our sadness and our tears. We'll come to get you. That is that is what we are. We are a fighting army. Mm-hmm. And so there's a tension there. There's, right. a, there's a tension there for all of us between being a fighting army and between being also a sensitive people. There's a tension right. between that. I fall on the side of it's important to be right now. To show now, strength right to now. To show strength. So that we won't have to cry later. Exactly. Well said, Malka. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's part of the show. But of course, everybody, no one here should take this uh, this thinking as a some kind of derogatory uh, commentary Judgment. on yeah. anybody's feelings. We're all, all <clears throat> of us are on a major emotional roller coaster up and down. That's right. This is more about just how to try to trend yourself as much as you can. But it's not, uh, everyone's feelings are so legitimate. Everyone who has any feelings right now, uh, we feel you, we hear you, we get you. That's right. And uh, we hope that what we'll be feeling at some point is a sense of uh, of uh, justice, vindication. Of course, we can't bring back um, these martyrs who died. Al-Kidush um, Hashem. Um, you know, I learned, by the way, I, I was watching Carolyn Glick show on JNS, one of our uh, platforms that we broadcast, and she did an interview with Avigail Gimpel, who is a uh, works for the Hevrit Kadisha. This is the Burial Society. And she, I didn't even get to watch the whole video because I literally got to eight minutes and I had to take a break, like an emotional break. I can't deal with it, but I'll try to watch more. But one thing I did learn from that uh, that I didn't know is that when a person dies, Al-Kidush Hashem, uh, dies sanctifying God's name, dies for being a Jew, for example, the tahara process, the process by which you cleanse the body and do all these things is different because you're already considered so holy that you don't have to undergo certain aspects of the tahara uh, process, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, uh, yeah, that's just a... I- not fun fact. Maka, I want to yeah. thank uh, Tabitha, Lou, Moshe Herman, Yocheved, and Ben Bresky for helping the show happen. And that's our team. We have a big team that, that, that makes the show um, broadcast to the world. And I want to thank uh, my great team. And uh, you guys are all soldiers and fighters. I want to thank all of the listeners to the show. I want to thank all of our sponsors, including JNS.org and JewishPress.com. Yes, if you want your news, be checking out those websites. It's It's easy to... Get misguided on other websites. That's right. And um, I also want to thank um, the folks that donate through either yishaifleischer.com, fightforisrael.org, uh, or uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai. Right. These are very important. These help out right now at this at this important time. Um, and I want to thank Hashem God Almighty for uh, bringing us through war. And uh, hopefully, as a nation, we will survive. Individuals right, may fall, but the nation of Israel is eternal because it is connected to the eternal. I want to bless all of you guys to have strength to be soldiers in this battle. There is no, there's no bystanders right now. We are, we are either right. in or out. And every single right, one of us, you have to pick your side. We have to lead Gaius right now. We have to lead Gaius, which means to, to, uh, to uh, uh, be enlist. Dr- enlist and and get into the fight. Fight that battle for for Israel right now. Fight that battle for civilizational survival and the pushback on the jihad. This is a very important moment, and we cannot let the forces of darkness win. Hashem is with us, but we have to be with with great courage and great strength, and we have to give each other strength. Give a neighbor strength, and you'll done a mitzvah for the day. God bless you, folks. Stay strong. Stay connected. Stay tuned. More great stuff is on the way. God bless you from the good land, and shalom.